All right, it's the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On today's show, Pete Wells, restaurant critic of the New York Times. Pete is arguably, actually, you know what? Screw that. Not arguably. He is the most read person in the food world. Uh, he is the most feared person in the food world. You can just ask Thomas Keller. Because whether you agree with Pete or not, he is one of those persons who you are going to read every single week. And that is because he is a great writer. Uh, oh, one thing I forgot to ask Pete, and so I just emailed him literally like just now as I was walking to work. How much longer can he do this gig for? And this might not be the answer that some restaurateurs want to hear, but uh, <laughs> Pete said, I hope I can keep doing this for a while because I'm just starting to figure it out. But before we get to Pete, one quick little thing. Friendly reminder that we still want to hear from you. You might want to tell us what you like about the show. You might want to send us a few constructive criticisms, but mostly what we want to hear are your cooking questions. Email us with some of your questions, and then we will get you on the phone like an old-fashioned radio show and have you on the podcast talking to a couple of our test kitchen editors to solve all your cooking queries. So hit us up at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. That's bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. All right, here's Pete Wells and me. Let's do this thing. Today's like I think the twenty eighth of September. Your review yesterday in the New York Times was on this restaurant Servos downtown, and I, what, one thing I thought was interesting as we sort of look back on your career at the Times, uh, the lead the lead is a two month old restaurant. Dot dot dot. Back in the day, the Times would never review a restaurant just two months old, would it? Like when did that start? I think, boy, I you know I I don't know, but I think it's been. It's definitely been around the two month, the two, sort of a two month minimum um, for all the time that I've been there, um, which is not like, you know, I was uh, editing for five years before I was the critic, um, and probably a good time before that. I think there's always been this sense of like giving places a little time to get up on their legs. What happens in the first week or so of a restaurant is generally like totally not representative. Of what it's going to be later in life, it's, it's yeah. usually chaotic. People are always like, "Oh, have you been to so and so yet?" I'm like, "I don't want to go to so and so. I like let them get their stuff together, you right? Know? Give, give them a moment. I don't need to go to that restaurant the first week it opens, right? I mean, what you saw, but even what you ate may not be happening a week later. Yeah, you know? like yeah, you want them to sort of see what works, see what doesn't work. But it's interesting, you know, in the, in the last ten years, you know, a restaurant now, you know. Eater will write about a restaurant nine times before it's even opened its doors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they do do like first day reports. Yeah, you know, you know, ten week, ten days out, first day, all yeah. that stuff. And yeah, yeah. you know, that's what they do. And God bless them for it. But it, you, you need to chime in earlier than you than back in the Ruth Reichel days or something. I imagine. I think sometimes I don't. I mean, sometimes I wait for months and months and drive chefs crazy. You know, because I, I just, you know, um, uh, especially places that are really hot. I will just think yeah. like. Let's let's how, let it settle down. How how aware are you of your effect on chefs? Because I remember talking to Dan Kluger, the chef at Loring Place on Eighth Street, who used to be at ABC Kitchen, and he was like a lot of chefs, like I can't leave my kitchen until I get the Times review. Like they are there every day yeah. until you walk in the door three times. Yeah. Do you realize you torture people like that? Well. 
I'm sorry. I mean, they, shouldn't they be there anyway? I, <laughs> sure. don't, I don't understand that. Like, what are we talking about? They, like, I have to like do my job so they can stop doing their job. I, it's this, that's a good it's, point. I, well, I guess it depends because you have some chefs. Like Dan has that. That's his. That's his restaurant. That is like, his place. And that is where he goes. I think if I walked in there tonight, he'd be there, right? Well, yeah. He also has you know a wife and a few kids, which I want to talk to you about. Um, and then you have people like I remember when Bobby Flay opened Gato, which you reviewed favorably a few years ago, mm-hmm. and Bobby is one of those guys who's like, oh, I have 17 TV projects and 23 Bobby's Burger Palaces and restaurants here and there. But he's like, no, 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 I'm cooking every night at Gato. And he still does cook there a lot. That's, I would call that his home base. Yeah, he wasn't there the last time I was in, but I but I, I don't check on him every week. So <laughs> <laughs> You, um, speaking about wife and kids, um, all right, your wife, Susan Choi, a writer also. Um, you have two kids? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I have a, a 13-year-old and and then another who's about to turn nine. Um, about to turn 10. I don't want to get too personal on you, Pete, but I'm going to. Like, that, how challenging is it on them for the job that you have? Like, honey, I got to go out to, again tonight. Well, I think it's very, it's very, it's very challenging. I mean, I, I think uh, it's a tough job to do with young kids. Uh, let's see. When Frank Bruni left this job, it was, it was um, 2010. And my youngest was maybe three, and and so we were looking around to see who was going to replace Frank, and um, and I was asked if I was interested, and I and at first I said, yeah, of course, what a great job, and then thought about it, and the more I thought about it, the less interested I was. I just thought, like, boy, my you know younger son just started sleeping through the night, yeah. and like I've I've been sleep deprived for the past three years, <laughs> and then like five years before yeah. that, and and I think it's not the right time to be going out every single night. Now it's a little bit different. They can, you know, put themselves to bed and brush their own teeth. So sometimes I'll go out really early and try mm-hmm. to get home by bedtime and sometimes Yeah, so like what sort of like what sort of agreement, arrangement, strategy did you guys arrive on as a couple and as a family for like how dad does his job? Boy, I'm not sure we ever really did because it 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 I have to be the job requires me to be flexible. Sometimes I eat at 5 because that's the only reservation I can get. Yeah. And sometimes I eat at 10, and sometimes I'm in between, and sometimes huh, I'll go out early and I'll well, that's say— interesting. Yeah, so you I'll, can't have like, oh, this is my schedule, guys right. at the times, this is how I right. have to do it. I mean, I do have a, I do have a kind of a, a schedule of, you know, days when I go out and days when I don't that, that changes and that no one is allowed to know. But So th- the family's aware of that, but then like it, it real, anything can happen in the evenings, you know, any, anything. And I can go out early thinking I'm going to be home early and then— one of the things that happens to me, and you've probably experienced this too, is like in a, in a slightly different way. I walk in and then everything slows down, you know, like all <laughs> the wealth right. is here. <laughs> it's just like what should be like, you know, a two hour meal might be a three and a half hour meal. Yeah. Of course, it's my fault because I have to order. Everything. I, I always order everything. Right? And then an appetizer. The chef says, that and then, doesn't look good. Do fire it again. Yeah, right. So there, yeah, there are these long pauses that I complain about sometimes in reviews, but I know often it's just because of me. You know, it's because something was sitting there on the pass and the chef threw it on the floor. And, and yeah. yeah. Um, talk about that in terms of being recognized and anonymity. I mean, there's a lot of questions there, but one thing I was thinking just from an industry standpoint, um, the food world, uh, it very much is a community. It's very social. Um, we hosted a dinner last night, as a lot of brands do, with a chef uh, from that restaurant Polizzi Social Club in Philadelphia. And you invite these chefs and these media people and this and that. And, like, 
it's like Pete's like, oh yeah, I'm not allowed to go to the party. No, I don't go to parties. And that's got really for six years now. Like you don't go to anything. It's really strange. You don't go to the James Beard Awards. No. You don't go to the after parties. You I don't, don't. I don't. I never meet people. I mean, it's it's weird. Does that <laughs> is that weird? Is that I mean, yeah. Um, that, yeah, it is. It, it's kind of it's it's kind of strange. And then, but then you know, there are parties that are not industry events, yeah. like just regular social life New York. Yeah. Friend Actual parties. People, yeah. I don't get invited to those <laughs> either because everybody assumes that I'm busy. I'm yeah. out. You know, oh, no one will ever cook for me. <laughs> I mean, I don't expect a lot of sympathy for this, but no one invites me over to dinner ever. It's like it's just it's it's I'm I'm a pariah. Yeah, I guess there's like oh he he won't come. No, yeah, I won't yeah. come or. Or they're afraid to cook for me, you know. Uh, um, I, oh, I could never cook for you. Are you kidding? Yeah. <laughs> What's your gym situation? Ugh, I, I haven't uh, been <laughs> inside a gym in a while. My preferred exercise is the bike. So um, a lot of restaurants have seen me show up with a bike helmet. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, but then that gets hard to do in the winter. Um what about – so you um, – when you travel, which you've been doing a lot more of in the last few years as, as checking out other cities and stuff. I know Andrew Knowlton, our restaurant guy here at, at BA, um, Knowlton always typically like rents a bike or uses a city bike in whichever city he's goes yeah, to. Yeah, that's a great thing. And you couldn't do that a couple of years ago, so I'm, I'm like really into that. Yeah. Um, I did it in L.A., which was like the last place in the world I ever thought I would ride a bike around. But uh, – uh, it's great. It's a great, I, great bike town. I, I mean, I know this is so cliche, but I was in LA a, a few times recently, and I just finally realized, like, I need to schedule my day differently because I'll be like, "Oh yeah, I'll meet you for lunch at whatever place in downtown LA, and then I'll go to dinner and check out that place in Venice." And you're like, "No, no, that's two and a half hours of driving right there." Yeah, and you're just like, "You don't factor that in." And yeah, no, no. I, I try to, I try to like look at a map at least once before I get on the plane and kind of plot out where all these restaurants are. But yeah, Los Angeles could just just completely throw a wrench in all of that. How, how did you decide in terms of to take on restaurants nationally? Uh, what was the impetus for that? And how often do you think it makes sense to, to check out other places? Uh, well, I, you know, I had a feeling when I started the job that the restaurant scene already was national mm -hmm. in a sense and and even international that regional differences were getting less pronounced I think the way our accents are are yeah. all kind of converging well, on this one because, I mean, because American of, voice because of yeah. the internet it's it's fascinating that chefs know what every other chef is doing like that moment yeah like, they but, see it they they, they they see it like the the maybe before it's served the minute yeah. the dish is created it's on Instagram they see and they start responding to it. And I think that's had a huge effect. And then I think it's become pretty much routine for young chefs to stage and even kind of mid-career chefs sometimes to go stage someplace. And, uh, um, and you know, like one of the things that Noma did that was so key to their worldwide influence was running an English-speaking kitchen. Mm. So people come in and they don't have to speak Danish. They, yeah. they all speak English. And then they go back and, you know, uh, like he sort of set it up to be – it's, uh, I mean, you know, Noma is almost like a university. Like kids come from all over the world to work there, and it is like this very international kitchen. And English is the common language they all speak. Yeah, right, 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 right. So, um, it it just seemed there was there was much more like, I mean, at, at the sort of the high end, whatever that means of the of the restaurant world, a place in New York has a lot more in common with a place in. 
Los Angeles than that same place in New York would have with a, a place in Brighton Beach. I mean, yeah, we did a piece a couple of years ago called Brooklyn is Everywhere. And there are these like, quote unquote, Brooklyn restaurants, whether you're in Portland, whether yeah. you're in San Francisco, it's the same tiles, the same lighting, the same, you know, toasts and whatnot on the yeah, menu. Yeah, totally. And the aprons, right? Yeah. And, and the ethos, the, yeah. the kinds of cocktails leaning toward bitter. And <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you've been at the job since sort of late 2011, beginning in 2012. Um, have you had the same editor that whole time? Has that shifted? How, what is your editor-writer relationship like? I've had a, um, I've had a, Really, two main main editors, um, but for most of that time, I've had uh, Patrick Farrell, uh, who's a uh, uh, came to us from Metro, and uh, he's a, a uh, uh, pretty sensitive ear. Doesn't have a food background, but has like figured it out in the time he's been uh, over with the foodies, and uh, uh, he's just kind of your like perfect bedside manner kind of editor, like to, you know breaks the news gently and <laughs> has a solution. <laughs> How often, all right, so obviously you write something, he gives you feedback. How often does he make suggestions to you about a type of piece you might consider writing or, or, or ideas for or for pieces? He does occasionally. Sam Sifton, who r- runs the whole department, does occasionally. Sam had an idea about hotel restaurants a few months ago, which turned out to be kind of interesting because it was like, yeah, there are a lot more hotel restaurants. Like, yeah. Um, well, I mean, you know, we've had them forever, yeah. but there are just so many more now. And the, and the, and it's, uh, um, and they are, you know, really attracting like top talent, even to sort of small, like casual places yeah. and hotels. And, and, uh, um, and so it, Sam thought it would be interesting to look at like what that meant and how it was working. And it was interesting. Yeah. It was really interesting. I had two, two thoughts on that. One was I was talking to Andrew Carmelini chef of a lot of restaurants here in New York and, and beyond. Um, and there was a space on 8th Avenue near our apartment. And I was like, AC, you should open up a place there. And he just said flat out, I was like, listen, I'm not opening any restaurants now unless they're in a hotel. Yeah. Like, just the rents, the labor costs in New York City is prohibitively challenging to open a independent restaurant in a space in, in Manhattan. It's just yeah. like, you just can't make it work. And he's like, I'll do it in a hotel, but I won't do it elsewhere, just business-wise. Right. You and Sam. So Sam was the critic. Uh, of the New York Times. Yeah, yeah. He prior. did it for two two years before I did. Yeah. What's that like having you know, it's like having Brett Favre as your <laughs> as your coach. Like does he was there a moment there where Sam was like, Hey Pete, why don't you try this? And you're like, I, I got it, Sam. I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> no. I mean he uh uh he gives me a long leash. I I think that, you know, the the Times Gives a lot of deference to its critics, not just in food, you know, but but in the in the culture desk too, and and uh, and I think there's a rec- I think there's a recognition that like what you choose to write about is just as important as what you say about mm-hmm. it. You know, it's just as much a part of your criticism. Yeah, the, 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 your decisions about you know what's important, what's interesting, um, um, are are you know part of the sensibility that you're bringing to to readers and, and should be. And if someone is telling you what to write about, um, uh, you're you're not really exercising that kind of judgment that I think you want out of a critic. Yeah, no, I, I've, I've experienced that before, the other writers where they kind of take the, the, the suggested article by the editor-in-chief and then they're kind of like, is this what you want? Like, I'm trying to write an article that you want to write, but I'm writing it for you, and it doesn't turn out well, rarely ever. Um, yeah, well, I, yeah. I mean, I've been on both sides of that too, because I, I've edited in you know the newspaper and I'm at uh, details and food and wine before that, and and it, it can be 
um, you can get you can get to a point where you just think like, oh, why doesn't the editor in chief just write this? <laughs> <laughs> he knows what he wants. <laughs> um, okay, wait. All right, I, I have a lot of questions for you, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna rewind a bit talking about your background. Um, we didn't overlap, but we both worked at Time Out in New York. Yeah, back in the day, uh, where a lot of good writers came out of. Um, and we that, did overlap a little bit. Did, I was I still I was still writing, but I was for some reason. But you weren't I, I in was, the office, were you? Yeah, I, I was never in the office. No, okay. I was never in the office except in the very beginning when I would come to drop off my story on my floppy disk oh, yes. because that was the <laughs> only way to file. Dude, I remember <laughs> that. They're like they stick it in there, and I'm like, like I, I then I remember when Apple came out with like the iMacs, or whatever. I'm like, wait. There's no slot right. for what's a wrong, disc. What's wrong with that? <laughs> what are we supposed to do? How am I going to get my freelancer's copy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember like, the, the, the freelancer would literally come to the office. Here you go. I know. I mean, it's this, it's this sort of youngish, modern publication. But like in the early days, like you guys didn't even have email, right? No. We sat in these little library carols. And, oh, God, that was a funny – funny. yeah, Brett Martin, Adam Sachs, our mutual friend. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a good gang. And then I remember you, you became – and so I just knew you somewhat tangentially then, but I remember that you you, were, you became a uh, a researcher, a fact checker, a New Yorker, and I was like, at the time, I was like, wait, what? Like, why would you want to be the person who sits there and checks other people's work and like, you don't get to write? And I was so confused by that career choice. And and obviously, I, I can think differently now, but at the time, what were you thinking from going to sort of like having a byline to being sort of like anonymous guy behind the guy who had the byline? Well, um, do you remember what you guys were paying freelancers at time? <laughs> yeah, like 28 cents a word. Yeah. I could only write freelance stories because I had a job. Yeah. You know, um, and, and uh, actually the fact-checking job w- w- was very difficult to write. Um, uh, because it was demanding and I'd be up in the middle of the night calling Europe to f- check stuff and um, and it was sort of exhausting. But then when I, I think mostly when I was when I was freelancing for Time Out, I was working in the PR department at The New Yorker and that was a little bit less really? demanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I used to write their press releases. Oh, wow. Um, and that, and they weirdly like the one they played. Paid more than time out. I'll tell. I'll tell you that. And and weirdly, like writing press releases and then doing some editing work on that, um, um, kind of paid my rent and and um, but only kept me busy about half the week. Yeah. So I had the rest of the week to freelance. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there somewhat of a dictate that from New Yorker, whether it's Remnick or whomever, was like, hey, if you're a fact checker here, you're not a writer. Like, don't even bother pitching articles. Let's be clear about what your job is. I don't think I don't remember there being a um, a rule about it, but it it, it rarely happened. I think it happened a, a bit more after I left. Mm-hmm. But um, well, when I was there, you know, and a lot of a lot of smart people in the fact checking yeah. department, and, and nobody could really figure out how to get into print. Yeah, that's tough. So all right, so you worked at Details for how many years? Um, f- about five. Yeah, um, which is what was a Condé Nast publication. Yeah. Um, at what point did this lead to like, oh yeah, I can be a food critic for the New York well, Times? <laughs> details was me trying to get out of food. <laughs> that was that was my attempt to escape. But from then all they, you but people. then they pulled you they, back in. Like so, did. so how did that happen? Though? They did. Well, the the Times decided that they needed a new food editor, and and uh, they had just hired Trish Hall to look over the whole features department. So what year is this? So this is when I started in 2006. And um, and 
she looked around and had a feeling that she wanted somebody from outside the times, which is a big problem. It's it's hard to do. They never want you to do that. <laughs> they don't. They'd always rather you know. Well, you know, a Kansas City bureau chief yeah. is ready to leave Kansas City. Could he be the food editor? Yeah. You know, they like to like, move people around. Yeah, in right, the organization. right. And sometimes it works amazingly, like yeah. Frank Bruni coming from the Rome bureau to. Being the restaurant critic. that was a crazy pick, but it Ins- worked. Insane yeah. pick I, on the on the surface, but it worked really really well. Um, um, but I, th- this time, I think she sort of looked around and, and also thought that it would be a good idea for the food section to have maybe a, a non Timesian perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of a, 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 a I think it was the idea of not just fresh blood, but kind of the fresh point of view. Yeah. Um, and they, so they started talking to people from outside, right? And, uh, and outside. <laughs> right. That's a big deal. And I had to, I, I had to meet them at a restaurant like two blocks away from the times. Oh, they, I, we couldn't talk in the cafeteria. Um, uh, it was a sort of clandestine operation. It took months and months and months to get sign off and, and, uh, get the, you know, it's complicated. Um, um, but yeah, that's, but that's how they pulled me. I mean, they called and it was the last thing in the world I was thinking about. I think I knew the job was open, but I never, mm-hmm. ever thought I would even be qualified. Right. And then, uh, and they, and then I got off the phone and I thought like, wow, that could be kind of a interesting thing to do. Cause it did seem like it needed to be, you know, to have the dust kicked yeah. out of it a little bit. And, uh. Um, and then the, and then when I started writing my memo, it just went on for pages and pages and pages because I was like, well, there's a, a lot. Yeah. That I had a weird done similar here. experience when I took the job at Bon Appetit in 2011. At first, I was like, why? That, why, why? I work at GQ. Why would I? And then as I thought about it, like, oh, yeah, you could do this. You could do that. And like you sort of put your mind to it. And all of a sudden, it, it starts to make sense. And, and you sort of get in, in, invigorated by the, by the potential. Um, yeah. And, and that's cool. All right. So. You took the job. We started writing full time as a critic end of 2011, 2012. How has the job as restaurant critic for the New York Times changed in the last five years and a half? Um, I mean, on the surface, it kind of hasn't. I mean, I still file. I mean, um, the the basic requirements of my job probably haven't changed in 50 years. It's it's like we still write one restaurant, publish one restaurant review a week of a certain length that's dictated by the print space. And, uh, um, and the uh, deadline is, is weekly. So it's a print deadline, you know, we're writing for the food section, which comes out on Wednesdays. The, the sort of the basic fundamentals of like, this is your job. This is what you get paid to do that hasn't changed that much. And even, you know, when I started, we had a blog and then they, um, they killed off most of the blogs at the times. Um, uh, they weren't really making money and it was, you know, taking a lot of work to put them out. So that, that really hasn't changed much at all. I mean, I, the, um, you know, the restaurants have changed the, and then the, all of this other ambient stuff, the Instagram and Twitter yeah. universe, which isn't part of, it's not what I'm paid to do. It isn't part of my job. And yet it seems like you kind of can't not do it. Yeah. I think, I, mean, I think that's interesting because I think what, how your writing reverberates has changed compared to when Sifton or Bruni had the job. Um, and, and, and you are someone who does engage in, on Twitter. Um, and let's, I mean, just like, you know, let's, 
we'll, we'll bring up a few examples. Um, yeah, well, I like to do that. I don't think I. I, I think one of the um, one of the you know reasons people have crazy ideas about the New York Times and people do have as as we know and it plays out in our national politics, people have insane ideas about the New York Times. And one of the reasons is that um, they just think of it as this sort of sealed space capsule, you know, in inside which there's this little conspiracy of like little green men and, yes. and, you, you, know, and, you, and, and you and you only hire one another and move each right? other around. Yeah, right. <laughs> and 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 so you'll see people say like, well look, Times doesn't review things like this as if, you know, like Salzberger is sitting in his office, like sending me memos on what, you know, what kind of restaurant I should and shouldn't review. And it's Do like, you guys have pneumatic tubes? We there? have tubes. That's <laughs> <Yes>. the thing. <laughs> um, and I think what, like when any of us kind of comes out of the space capsule to talk to readers, you know, not, not to do like, you know, I mean, this is great to do a podcast, but when, when we, when we're able to like talk to readers and they see that like, a human being made yeah. this thing and and made decisions about it for certain reasons and and tried to you know make the right decisions maybe maybe you don't agree with them but but, but the, you know this is not this is not being done by some some machine it's being yes. done, done it's, by I mean, people it's, it's so. definitely more humanizing and it 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 makes you guys seem a little less imperious yeah um, yeah i mean i think that's a that's a, a problem for the times historically and i think I'll, I'll, most of us recognize that yeah. and now it's time for a quick break let's say all right for instance your local review of l-o-c-o-l david patterson and roy Choi's. uh i don't know if you call it an experiment a fast food-ish healthiest restaurant one in, in oakland one in watts la trying to uh bring interesting food to sort of underserved neighborhoods y you got a lot of heat for a tough review of what essentially people think is a sort of a do-good effort on these chefs' part. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Looking back, what are your thoughts? Like, if I could do it again, I would have done what? Oh, I thought it was a, a fine review, a completely legitimate review. I mean, I think they're, like, if I had worried more about it in advance, I think I would have just hedged it in ways that I don't think it really needed to be hedged. I think the, you know... Um, the point is that you know I've reviewed places like Superiority Burger mm -hmm. here in New York, which is sort of a very similar yeah. operation, right? In low, terms of scale and low yeah. prices, little little place, limited menu, centers around a you know uh, burger that's not 100 percent meat or yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and, and so to me, it's it, it was just like you know. I've done places like this before. I can do this. The um, I think the reason there was so much blowback was because the place had assumed um, this position in people's minds where it wasn't a restaurant. Well, people saw it as a, like an altruistic effort. Like, hey, these two big, big name, successful chefs are taking time away from their schedules and their money making venture to try something. Let's see if this works. Right. Let's see if we can do something to help these neighborhoods to change the sort of the foodscape in America. Is this possible? I, I don't think people necessarily disagreed with your food assessments, but people were like, wow, Pete, that's kind of harsh. These guys are trying to do a good thing. Why are, you, why are you giving them such a hard time? Well, they're charging money and they were making or they're trying to make money. I mean, the, the, the whole idea was to make a profit so they could take it national. Yeah. Like it was not a foundation, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, and still isn't. And I think the reason the 
one in Oakland closed was not because of my review, but because it wasn't successful. Yeah, I don't think the average person going to local was like, that Pete Wells. I mean, it's like, yeah, you go to a restaurant because you like it or you don't go because you don't like right. it. Right. But right. do you think do you think the review personally, and I'm curious as a critic, the interesting thing about being a critic is that you get a ton of criticism upon yourself. And was yeah. it was it worth the blowback that you had to weather? Well yeah. Yeah. I mean I think you have to take it. I mean you just you you just have to you shouldn't be Writing criticism if you yeah. can't take criticism, it's but that's like, hard though. It's like people, like especially on Twitter, like there is a lot of vitriol. Yeah, there's some nastiness publicly shaming you and calling you out, and you're like, oh. yeah, yeah, there is some nastiness. And and, and uh, yeah, I mean, I do. I will say, Twitter does make you think twice about a lot of things, yeah. you know, because you don't want to be the one that the mob comes after. Yeah, it's not. Know? It's not a right. nuanced discussion. It's a beatdown. Right, right. But in this case, you know. I didn't even really sort of didn't understand what they what they were saying. I mean, I I like what was nice about all the things that people admire <coughs> about that restaurant. Yeah. You know, I said the service is cool and they're engaged and they seem to kind of want to be there, which is not like most fast food places. I mean, one of the reasons fast food can be a depressing experience is because the people who work there often seem depressed and they they are yes. not out. happy yeah. to serve you, even though they have a pin that says we're happy to serve <laughs> you. You know. Um, um, uh, and I thought local did that really well. I thought, you know, I liked a lot of things about it, but I didn't think the food was good. Yeah. And, I, and, and, you know, I think that's sort of a crucial thing for a restaurant to get right. Well, yeah, but did you ever consider and discuss with the editor, like, hey, let's do a piece on local, not a fawning piece, but let's do an honest piece, but just not do it as a, a formal review? Well, you know, I, I will say that in, in retrospect, um, uh, I might have, it sort of how it sort of happened fast and the way things do when they get scheduled. Yeah. It was like it was on a schedule and it had and it had to come out at a certain point. And if um if there'd been like a little more breathing room in that schedule, I might have stepped back and said, you know, maybe this doesn't need to be a starred review. Yeah. Because I, I do sometimes write uh um, th things called critics notebooks, which don't, you know don't have stars. I think it was the, the zero star more than anything else. Well, hundred percent that and set it, people off, right? And I think that's what's unfortunate that this star system, everything has to get distilled into a star, and people see the stars without often out even reading the piece or just you know the excerpt just a little bit. And that's just a part of our culture. Everyone wants something on some sort of rating system. Yeah, right, know? and right, and 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 I think it's 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 especially at the times of the tradition of our. Restaurant reviews, the tradition of our star system, it it has a lot of power on its own. The stars have more power than I do. You yeah. know, they they will outlast me, and and uh, and it's they're one of the main reasons people read me. You know, and yet, yeah, there are times like that where you wonder, like, like, it's this even fit? Like, yeah. it's um, um, you know, that said, like I, you know, I would have given that place stars if I thought the food was delicious. Yeah. You know, like I gave Superiority Burger too, and I had no problems with that. I, I, I certainly know as a reader, I love reading your tough reviews. Um, I imagine they're, you know, they're they're interesting to write from your perspective. But a lot of the restaurants you go to, I imagine, are not terrible, nor are they sort of transcendent. There's a yes. lot of those middle area restaurants, and how do you get it up yeah. for that, like week after week? Well, a lot of those don't make it, but you still have to write up something, you know. So, right, right. But I mean, a lot, a lot of those restaurants that if they're if they're really middling, they just mm -hmm. don't they just don't make the cut. So I go once and I don't go back, and uh, just to keep myself from getting in that position where, like, you know, I have to write a review, 
about this completely average place yeah. where it's not bad, not good. Fine. Okay, you've had it before. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you live two blocks away, you should certainly consider going. I mean, you know, right? Um, you know, I try pretty hard to avoid writing those unless there's you know built-in interest. You know, if it's a completely middling restaurant like that from you know a chef we expect more of, yeah. I'll totally do that. You know, I'll, I'll totally do that. All right, I had I, my response to your Guy Fieri review was probably contrarian to what a lot of people felt. A lot of in America, like, why are you giving this chef a hard time? You're just a snotty food guy. A, a very entertaining piece, and you wrote it to Guy himself with a series of whatever forty nine questions, maybe. Um, I I read that review as like, hey man, like Guy, like you're enticing all these people to come to your restaurant and pay money for your food and tourists often in New York City and Times Square and your food kind of sucks. And like, that's like, you should be more considerate of who your customer is. And like that, I kind of felt like you were defending the customer more than giving Guy a hard time. That was the idea. I mean, you know, um, that restaurant was around the corner from the Times and like people yeah. I knew were having lunch there. They're like, you know, it wasn't entirely tourists, but you know, there were a lot of tourists too. And I, it's not what I want them to see when they come to New York. Like, I don't want them to to yeah. think that, uh, you know, uh, our French fries are cold. This is not a cold <laughs> French fry town, you know? No, it's not. <laughs> and that one, I, but I imagine that one was, uh, that I would think, like, the heat you got from that, I, I would be more willing to take that heat than the local one. It's like, all right, the local guys are at least trying to do a good thing. I, I'd, I'd be like, all right, if you want to come at me with Guy Fieri, come at me. I mean, with a guy, you, you could really, – you could look at it and say, well, he, he, you know, he just took the money and ran. Yeah. Like, you know, they made him a deal that didn't involve him supervising the kitchen, obviously. It didn't involve him spending much time there at all. You know, I like I, um, before I ended up with the question format with that review, I had another idea, which was that I was going to take as many recipes, as, as many dishes from that menu um, and f try to find recipes that he had published with, you know, like he's published a donkey sauce recipe. So yeah. you can make donkey sauce. Actually, so I did. I made donkey sauce, and it's nothing like the donkey sauce at this restaurant, right? So, like, like, and his, um, uh, he had a recipe for that Rhode Island uh, style calamari, which is like with you know, uh, banana pickled banana peppers yep. and butter sauce. And, and I made that. And, it's great, right? Um, and then the version of the restaurant, nothing like it. So there was like some basic failure of like, like following through on the recipes to make sure they were being made the way he wrote them, you know. Yeah. And um, and that just wasn't happening. And so then, then to me, that's just like that's like a huge bait and switch. Like you're yeah. you're you know you're selling people. On you know the image he has on TV and and, and recipes that he's you know demonstrated or published on the Food Network site, and then you walk in and it doesn't taste like that at all. You know, yeah. I mean, it was a very entertaining review and a big part of your job and any critic's job, and I guess what sort of separates the good ones from the really good ones is that you not only have to be critical, but but you need to be entertaining. You know, you need to be a writer that people want to read. Yeah, I mean, I um um. I mean, I, well, I worry about that because you can take that too far and just be purely entertaining and sort of turn. You could, you could certainly could do a restaurant column that was like pure stand-up and just make jokes and, yeah. and okay, folks, see you next week. <laughs>
and in some ways, I, I, I don't think it's right for the times, but I think I, I would read something like that because, like, no, we don't need to take restaurants so seriously. We, yeah, I, I think, I, I think that they're, they're like, there's no reason somebody shouldn't come out and take a bunch of, you know, sniper shots at yeah. every, every new place that opens. That's sort of hyped and. Uh, it, how much in terms of, I, I think the readers we enjoy, except we enjoy a good piece. Chefs receive pieces differently. Um, yeah. Whether it's David Chang or uh, Thomas Keller, for instance, in your per se review, like that had a that not kind, not want to say not kind, but not favorable review of per se, which I agree with at the time, changed the way that restaurant is doing what it's doing now. I mean that they that made Thomas and the team like step back and like, wait a minute, we need to reassess what it is we're doing. Well, that's I mean that I mean I mean I'm not, that's certainly not why I write. I mean yeah. I write really for the readers, but like from a certain point of view, that's the reaction you you would hope people would have, just because there is a, there is an opportunity in in any negative feedback that you get. You know, sometimes like if it's a customer who's not happy with their meal, maybe that customer is totally wrong, mm-hmm. and and the, the food was perfect, and you know it was perfect, and they're just grouchy. But you still have an opportunity to be kind of human with them and kind and and the you know, and and try to make it up to them in a way that maybe they'll walk out feeling good instead yeah. of walk out feeling angry. And 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 the, you know, negative review is an opportunity in a different kind of way to sort of look at it, decide which wh- where's the critic totally off the mark. I don't think it's all wrong. You know, yeah. there's there, there's got to be something in there that you can. No, no, I, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, but uh, uh, you know, we are all sensitive to criticism upon ourselves. I mean, how often when you're doing. Review. Oftentimes, you call the chef or the restaurant to get some background, factual information before you write it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I used to do more of that, and then um, and then I sort of moved to just calling them after it was written and fact checking. Um, mm-hmm. How often uh, do they then want to get in touch with you after the review comes out? Rarely. I mean, rarely. I, I mean, and I'm, I'm fine with that. I think no news is good news. It always makes me a little bit uncomfortable when they. Write to say thank you. Yeah, like I, said, I don't know what to say. <laughs> like I, it's like it's I like did. when you do a profile of someone right. in a glossy magazine. Like, oh, that was a great piece. And you're like, yeah. shit, I didn't <laughs> do my job. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, all right, Pete. Uh, I could keep going, but we 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 got we got a time limit. Um, but before we go, we're doing the lightning round. Uh, either or questions. Either or. Yeah, so you get an either or. We get answer. All right, one or the other. It's you know I don't do anything at the speed of lightning, so this may be well, sort fine. of the yeah. You can you can meander a bit and go on. Um, beard or no beard? Me? Yeah. At the moment, no. Just but in general. In general, yeah, I've certainly worn beards, but I, but but I think I'm happier smooth. <laughs> Ruth or Bruni? Well, I want to say as a person or as a writer, but I can't answer either. <laughs> <laughs> as a person or a writer. Let's stick with as a writer. As, a writer. as a writer. As a writer. I think I model myself a little bit more on, on Ruth, or I should say I think I've, I've taken a little bit more from from her approach than from Frank. Although Frank, I think, had a huge influence because I edited him. Yeah. So he like, you know, what, read those things closely every week. What would you consider Ruth's approach and what she brought to the, the table? I think – she like me rarely did negative reviews and was all would sort of try a little harder to find a place that she could be positive mm-hmm. about. Um, and I think she 
uh, like me likes to explore the city a little bit and yeah. get get out of the you know the usual neighborhoods. Yeah. Open table or resi? I think resi's interface is a little is a lot better, but it's easier to find seats on open table. Yeah. I think the ult. I mean, the, the the ultimate answer is if you can, you call the restaurant because nobody puts all their reservations online, yeah. as far as I can tell. So you just you just call, and they you know, resi or open table doesn't matter. You're going to see. Five o'clock and ten o'clock, and you call, and they'll say, "Hmm, how about eight thirty? Is that yeah. good for you?" <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> times print edition or times digital edition? Uh, I read it almost only digitally, but then um, uh, this week I've been reading it on paper, and and as I do every time I read it on paper, I realize how much I'm missing. Like really, how much I'm missing the the, the just the pleasure of the layout, but also the 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 story that you don't really mean to read, but then yeah. you start reading it, and then you're like, oh, this is really great. I mean, I, th- I think it's the print edition, I think it's a better experience uh-huh. for for broadening your mind, broadening your world. It's definitely a different experience, and like I said, there's there's a hierarchy to it more so than digitally, and you kind of bop around. Yeah, oh, this is a funny one that we, we crowdsource some questions from our staff. Um, stools with backs that don't spin or stools without backs that do spin. Ooh, that's a tough one. I would rather have the back support. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> Well, on that on that note then, booth or chair? A booth. Booth. That's a no-brainer. Yeah, you're just like How is that even yeah. a question? <laughs> <laughs> that's why that's why we all, I, I love Hillstone restaurants cuz like 80% of yeah. the tables in a Hillstone Houston's restaurant are booths. I will say like if I'm at a restaurant and you know a lot of times there's like a sort of a, a banquet against the wall and then two chairs on mm-hmm. the outside. I always take the two chairs on the outside and send whoever I'm with to the booth. But shouldn't you be in the booth so you can survey the restaurant? I'll do that at some point, but a lot of times I just like to have my back to the to the whole <laughs> scene. So <sighs> Times Roman or Helvetica? Oh, Times Roman. Oh, I don't know. I got I'm more of a Helvetica guy. I'm like I mean, a modern it's a nice guy. Font. It's, it's, it's <laughs> it is like the okay. We are, I'm not gonna get into fun fun arguments. Um, smash burger or fried chicken sandwich? Oh, fried chicken sandwich. I think. Do you have a favorite one in New York? Well, the one I eat all the time is, is um, this place in my neighborhood, Mecklenburg. So they have like a spicy chicken that like they only serve after midnight, which is when I usually wait. Wait, what do you there. mean you, the one you eat all the time? Like how right. many, how often are you having fried? How chicken often sandwich? am I having yeah. fried chicken at, at midnight? At midnight. Can, next question. <laughs> Don't you go out to eat for a living? <laughs> didn't, didn't they feed you well enough? <laughs> oh my god! Uh, Instagram or Twitter? Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, Twitter. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's richer. It's also full of sewage, but it's but it's it's a, it's a <laughs> richer environment. <sighs> Twitter is the you know somebody I put up a picture last night and uh and somebody left a comment that said light your photos. And I was like <laughs> I don't work for you, dude. I don't know. Like, I just I took a picture. It was not totally out of focus. I put it on Instagram. Every, like, every, everyone's a critic, Pete. Uh, um, a few more. Note Notepad or iPhone Notes app? Oh, the Notes. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, unless I'm like on foot. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are times when I've been exploring neighborhoods and I actually will use a Notepad. But um, most of the time, especially in restaurants, it's the phone because I yeah. can take a picture and then I can take down some notes and uh, and they might just think you're just like yeah, texting it'll a just look like every other idiot yeah, yeah. <laughs> shot of whiskey or shot of tequila uh, whiskey you're a bourbon guy um yeah pretty much B- bourbon rye 
from Ryan. Got any favorites? Yeah. Um, oh, it's like whatever was the last thing I had. I had a, like four roses single barrel the mm. other night that was, I had not had before. And I was like, yeah. oh, hey, four roses. Pappy, overrated, underrated, or just rated? Let's just say overpriced. Overpriced. <laughs> An enjoyable experience, but <laughs> but too expensive of one. Uh, bacon, egg, and cheese, or bagel with cream cheese? Oh, bacon, egg, and cheese, especially uh, especially for mornings when you've been drinking the night before. And eating fried chicken sandwiches. <sighs> well, yeah, no, the chicken sandwiches sort of actually helps you get <laughs> over that. It's um, a base. <laughs> Uh, well, there's always a question with the fried egg sandwich. Um, with well, the, the bacon egg and cheese, fried or scrambled within the bacon egg and cheese? I sort of don't care. What? I mean, I know I should care, but I sort of don't care. Like, I, I know. I Like, if it's over easy and there's a little yolk in there, I'm happy. Yeah. If it's scrambled, I'm also happy. You're so easy. I'm very easy. You know, That's and, a thing. And like he gets my, a, a bad yeah, reputation. Yeah, yeah. It's not fair. And my, my, my local bodega, the, the closest one to me— um, uh, they don't have pork products back there, so I will eat it with turkey bacon if that is what you know. I would I would do this. I, I honestly I eat like enough meat in my life, so oftentimes on those mornings where I was out the night before, and I get to the office and Emma. Back when Emma was my assistant over here, she remembers this. I'm like Emma. I need an egg and cheese sandwich from the deli. Uh, I got to run to a meeting. Um, but just that, that, and you get that kind of the crappy but great Kaiser roll, and just that moment where the American cheese kind of turns in that liquefied state, yeah. and you put a little ketchup or hot sauce on there, yeah. and you take that bite, and you're like, okay, it's all going to be okay. It's great. And you know what? The, the, the foil wrapper with that sort of like geometric design yeah. on the inside, the hexagonal thing or well, it's something. Also, it's like foil the, on the outside with that sort of but waxy paper on, on the inside. inside. And then like when the cheese is kind of adhering to that paper, oh, that's when you yes. know, when you know. But you have to let it steam in the wrapper. Well, exactly. Like I actually, I mean, I contend also, I think like Shake Shack burgers actually get better 10 minutes in because it all just kind of steams and molds together and just sort of Becomes it's very harmonious. Really? Yeah. I have never tried yeah. it. I'll I like, try, yeah. I like. Right, I'll try it. Fries are always best hot, but I think the burgers actually sort of they, they kind of come to fruition. All right, Pete Wells. Last question: Butter or olive oil? Oh, butter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good luck on those bikes. Thanks, Pete. Thank you. Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Emma Wurtzman and Carrie Polis and edited by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's with additional music by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.